Ollie's at the wheel, but is the vehicle heading for the cliff? Sunday's 5-0 hammering at home to Liverpool was certainly a car crash of a performance, but the Glazers haven't yet taken the keys away from the club legend. The question is, can United get out of reverse gear as they face Tottenham this weekend? I'm Kevin Hatchard, and this is Football Only Better. Before we get into the nuts and bolts of the show, our warmest congratulations to Mark O'Hare, who recently became the proud father of a lovely little baby girl called Molly. He'll have her watching the Latvian second division in no time, I'm sure. We've allowed him a weekend off, but only one. So he'll be back very soon indeed. No parental duties for the wild and fancy-free Jake Oscarthorpe from InfoGoal, although he does have to take care of the XG robots, to be fair. Uh, Jake, let's start with Manchester United because they're in action at Spurs on Saturday evening. United, the 2.42 favourites in the match odds market. Tottenham, 3.05. What a mess that game against Liverpool was. It was, yeah. It was. I think we we all sort of saw something like that coming on last week's podcast. <sighs> yeah, the, the, a mess is a great way to describe it because they were just all over the shop, weren't they? And um, just so disjointed yet again. Who'd have thought that um, a McFred midfield that we saw against Atalanta get torn apart um, would, you know, get torn apart again? I, don't know, I think everyone saw that. coming. The rock solid McTominay Fred axis. Exactly. You mean? Yeah, yeah. Surely not. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it, it, we we joke, we're joking, but last season that double pivot worked really well in those big games because the team was more organised, and um, you know, now they've added a few extra star players in there, notably Ronaldo. The, all of a sudden, there becomes a, there's become an impetus to try and go toe to toe with the better teams, and that's the key, that isn't it, yet. though, Jake? That Ronaldo signing is the, is the centre of this whole thing, isn't it? Because it's changed the way they play because he won't press, can't press doesn't press and now you've got this thing where pressing seems voluntary just arbitrarily closing players down and leaving massive gaps in behind but doesn't this also speak to the structural problems at Manchester United because the opportunity to sign Ronaldo came up they desperately didn't want him to go to Manchester City but they've kind of wrecked the game plan Oh, big time! Yeah, yeah, they were they were really they were trending in a positive direction. I mean, the bringing in younger players, you know, blooding the likes of Greenwood, Jesse Lingard had just been on loan. He'd done, had a really good stint at West Ham. Thought that he might come back into the team and you know contribute a little bit because he's a similar player, in the, high pressing, high energy. Um, but Ronaldo coming in is just the opposite of everything they were trying to build, really, which was a, a young, up and coming team. And you know, not discounting Ronaldo's quality because he's an unbelievable goal scorer. And if you give him a chance, more likely than not, he will score. I mean, he showed that with a disallowed goal. I think that was his only real chance against Liverpool. Took it brilliantly. But as a team, the way in that in which that team is functioning, he just doesn't do enough for them. Um, you know, you, you compare him, for example, to. Roberto Firmino, who's nowhere near the player of Ronaldo in terms of goal scoring ability, but everything else Firmino does does better than Ronaldo. You know, his hold up play brings people into play. He triggers the press from the entire team. Um, and he's a massively one of the best facilitators in the league. And Ronaldo is literally just standing up there waiting for a chance to be put on a plate for him. And that is not the way to, um, to win football matches unless you're playing in, you know, maybe one of the. Oh, no, I'm not even going to say that. Like I was going to say one of the Barcelona teams that 
managed uh, Guardiola, but they played such a high intensity press. Um, yeah, so he's 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 a bit of a yeah he's he's a square peg in a round hole, um, and ultimately that's United's downfall this season. And the irony is they've actually got an old striker sat on the bench who does press in Edinson Cavani. In Cavani, yeah. Um, and you know, would they have been better off not signing Ronaldo and leading the line with Cavani? Personally, I would say yes. I think that he would he suits what they're trying to do a little bit more. Um, you know, we saw that against Atalanta. He was on the pitch for about 20 minutes at the end, but he played a pass down the line to, I think it was Rashford or Sancho or somebody, and missed him completely. But he chased his own pass to put pressure on the fullbacks. So he didn't have an easy ball out. And that's the kind of thing you just don't see from Ronaldo. And, and basically, it means that defences have got a really easy time playing through Manchester United. And um, yeah, that's basically one of the best teams in the world at doing that Liverpool severely expose them. Odds compiler and betting guru Mark Stinchcombe is with us once again. Mark, we've been consistently critical of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer on here. That was a new low against Liverpool, but I actually want to talk to you about Spurs because it's a strange situation, I think, under Nuno because there are some good performances. There are some good results. It hasn't been a complete wipeout by any stretch of the imagination. But the football... It's not the most appealing. And Spurs fans have just had Jose Mourinho, who played fairly dull football and that wasn't working. And now they haven't really got consistency and they haven't really got sparkling football to watch. No, I mean, the match before the Man United-Liverpool game last week, West Ham v Spurs, was a very dull affair, wasn't it? I mean, Spurs who were chasing... Chasing the second half for, what, the last 20, 25 minutes, but in the entirety of the second half didn't muster a shot. I mean, that's, you know, that, that's, that can't be allowed in, in professional football and Premier League. I mean, have <laughs> Harry Kane and Hyung Min Son. I mean, th- th- this is extraordinary, isn't it, really, that a team with that quality is able to create so little in the attacking third. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a big Undombele fan. Yeah, and, me too. You know, he had a, he had a good game against Newcastle, but when you break it down, it wasn't a good game against Newcastle. He was just good in patches and he topped it off with a goal. He just, he's not, I'm not sure what the problem is, whether it's him himself or whether it's the team. Maybe it's a combination of the two, but perhaps he just isn't adjusting well to English football, albeit he's been here, he's been here a long time. But yeah, you know, if, if Kane or Son don't do it, it does need other players to step up. Um, but then it, as I think, I think you're correct. It comes back to the, the manager style of football and, you know, it is, a, it is a kind of a bizarre choice, really, that he went down the, the Nuno route. He's not exactly renowned for playing attacking, offensive, exciting football. And when you've got Kane, Son, Mora, Bergwijn, Deli Alley, who's, you know, absolutely fell fell off the radar, hasn't he? Um, you got a uh, full, good fullback going forward in Reguillon. Um, it's very strange, really. So... I I I think both of these teams are in are in poor poor positions, um, not in terms of the league table, but in terms of long term plan. And I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, Tottenham. I think the other week were up in fifth, and when people were like, well, how did they get into fifth, sort of thing. It's just because you know they've managed to. They've got Kane and Son, so some of the games where they are terrible, if one of them two are able to score out of nothing, they are able to to get three points. But I think expected points has them in the bottom six, and that's that's more in line with their performances this season. And then we've talked at length a lot about Solskjaer, and uh, I think Jake mentioned there that the what they're going away from because of how they're trying to fit Ronaldo in is making them worse. I'm going to suggest that what they had before 
long term is not good enough anyway for the for the size of the club and the players they have at their um, disposal. Like for example, a lot of people say, "Oh yeah, they finished second last season," but it wasn't second as if they were close to winning the league. It was yeah. it was second in a, in a very poor rest of nineteen teams. I would say you know Man City out there far and above. Uh, they say, oh no, we finished above Chelsea, we finished above Liverpool. Well, Chelsea with a Lampard for half the season and Liverpool with no defence for the majority of the season. So yeah, I think both teams lack lack a long-term plan. And you know, looking at this match as a betting, he very similar to when Arsenal played Spurs earlier in the season. I kind of wanted to oppose oppose both teams. <laughs> um, but I don't think back in back in draws is is really the sort of the way to go down, especially in a game that I could think could be goal heavy. Um, I'm not saying could be goal heavy, but the odds suggest it. You know, over two point five is four to six. So Man United are thirteen to ten faves away from home. People might think that's a bit short, but I think. I think I'd say it's difficult to decipher. You know, both managers probably want to play counter-attacking football, so the first goal is probably massive here. But you know, Man United have got the better players, so yeah, quite happy to accept that. You know, they are rightful favourites. I think they won this fixture three three one last season. Um, and yeah, I say over two point five is is four to six. But both games had floods of goals last season. But if you know, if both teams are lacking in confidence, then it could be it could be goal shy. So. I think if you've got a strong opinion, you know, on on sort of a, a long-term edge you found in, in in Tottenham games or Man United games and continue, continue down that route. Um, I mentioned last week, Ronaldo's get booked and score. Maybe that could be something to go go for again. I know it's not a derby or whatever. It nearly but landed last week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was quite disappointing. But, um, you know, if, if, uh, if he's... If he's fed up with the criticism, you know he, that could that could boil over again. I mean, it was very bizarre that he was, you know, hacking hacking at the ball uh, in front of Alexander Arnold. It's not kind of sort of what we associate Ronaldo with. So, yeah, maybe that's something to go down, or maybe you could go in the bet builder, maybe back Kane and Ronaldo both to score sort of six seven to one. That could be something. But yeah, in terms of sort of like you know looking for. Uh, a long-term uh, process that lends itself to siding with one of these teams, I think just steer well clear. Jake, from your perspective, what's the angle here? Because it's interesting. Stinch is right. Neither team is trustworthy. I guess you'd look at Manchester United's away record over the past year or so, year and a half, and you'd have to conclude that it's pretty good, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um yeah, like Stinch, I found it's a little bit difficult to try and find something that I liked. But I've settled on back in Manchester United to win. And the reason for that is because looking at the numbers, Spurs are allowing 1.75 expected goals against per game this season. United are allowing 1.71 expected goals against per game this season. So their defences are performing at a similar rate in terms of conceding chances. But then you're looking at their attack, attacking figures and Spurs, are they're averaging 1.11 expected goals for per game which is kind of the levels we'd expect from a team in the bottom three, bottom four, as Stinch has already said, based on expected points, that's where they are. But only Leeds and Norwich have created fewer non-penalty big chances than Tottenham this season. They've created five in nine nine matches. So they're, they're creating around you know one non-penalty big chance every couple of matches, which is just not acceptable for a team that has such uh, you know great attacking quality moving forward. And 
as for you know the flip side of that, Manchester United, they're actually creating chances at the same rate as what they're conceding them. They're at 1.74 expected goals for per game. So the gulf in consistency between both attacking teams is actually quite stark. So while we've got teams that are both as bad as each other defensively, we've got one team that we can trust a little bit more on the attacking side of the game, and that is Manchester United. So for me, that in a game with two bad defences where we we are expecting quite a few goals, siding with the team that is more consistent in chance creation seems, you know, the smart play. And, and you know, 2.42 Manchester United are on the exchange. Last season, um, at, in this match, they were around 2.5. And I would argue that while Manchester United are a bit more dysfunctional this time around, Spurs are a lot worse this season than they were last season heading into this fixture. So I think the 2.42 represents a small amount of value. And I think that, as I've said, in a game that is probably going to be high scoring with two really leaky defences, Siding with the team that that is the better attacking team of the two, um, you know that that for me is the way I want to play this one. Now, Stinch mentioned the bet builder, and it's worth bearing in mind our fantastic multiples offer is running every day. Bet twenty pounds on multiples or bet builders, and receive a five pound free bet to use on multiples or bet builders. T's and C's apply. So Tottenham rebuilding, Manchester United rebuilding, Arsenal still in the midst of their own tricky rebuild. But they still smashed Aston Villa last weekend. They go to Leicester this weekend in a fascinating lunchtime clash. The Foxes 2.54 to win with Arsenal round two to one to claim the three points. Stinch, how do you see this one? Goals. Lots of goals. Yes. Like, I'm, this I'm is just, what I was thinking. I've just been with Leicester goals all season pretty much. They've just been... They, I mean, I really like them going forward. I like Vardy, I like Iheanacho, Big, uh, Big Daka fan, um, Harvey Barnes, Ayose Perez. Tielemans just scores screamer after screamer, doesn't he? Like, I think they're really, really exciting going forward, uh, Leicester. But then at the same time, they've just been a car crash in defence. Um, Suyunku and, and Vestergaard just seem to get muddled up all the time. Uh, Suyunku picked up another yellow card last week. Um, then, then he was substituted as well. So I'm not sure if that was down to performance or, or a knock or something. Um, but, and we saw, uh, in the week, even in the other competitions, like, um, in Europe, Leicester was 4-3 away, you know, another sort of basketball game. They played in the cup in midweek, 2-2 against Brighton. So they're just, they're just games are just, are just crazy. And I, and so I'm, it's kind of just sticking with the, the rinse and repeat of going with that, but, but there's nothing really from Arsenal to sort of put me off it. You know, it's not as if I would say describe Arsenal as a, a negative team or whatever. I still think they're, they're a bit disjointed, but as I think I've mentioned before, they have got, I would say high level players in terms of Aubameyang, Lacazette, Pepe, etc. that are capable of scoring something out of nothing. I'm a bit concerned over some of their players defensively. Aaron Ramsdale, I'm not sure is, is a top six keeper. I think that's where Arsenal want to be. It started well, though. I mean, I must admit, I've, I've been kind of pleasantly surprised by how he's managed to stamp his personality on the team. I mean, admittedly, a team that hasn't got a lot of personality. So he, he went from a low base. But, uh, you know, in general, he's played pretty well. Yeah, I mean, he's still quite young. What is he, 20, 21, 22? And goalkeepers, you know, tend to peak a bit later in their career when I think they 
probably learn a bit more about the game and about themselves and how to like boss the defense and you know the way goalkeepers are nowadays I think I remember hearing uh, recently uh, one of the the Liverpool goalkeepers from from way back in the day um, when Bill Shankly asked him to you know be a sweeper keeper and he was like that's unheard of you know the way the game's evolved nowadays is goalkeepers yeah. have a lot more influence on the game in terms of where the defensive position starts and where the goalkeeper starts as well so yeah maybe long term it'll be absolutely fine but uh and I'm not saying I'm taking this bit this bet because I don't rate it I'm just saying that you know I think that's just something that uh you don't have to worry about that you come you're not coming up against uh, Allison or Edison yeah. um yeah so yeah I mean 19 of Leicester's last 24 Premier League games have gone over 2.5 goals which is 79 percent and over 2.5 is 5 to 6 so we're looking at you know 55% chance so I, again the dis- for me the disparity is there I think uh, Leicester games unless they're against uh, a defensive or stubborn team and I'm other than don't think there's any of them really exist in the Premier League at the moment. I think Leicester games should really be at, by default be at the 2.75 line. So I think we're, you know, stealing a little bit of a quarter of a goal here. Uh, it's just three clean sheets in 24. Johnny Evans is back, but they're playing a back three. Uh, Amati was in the back three last week and he's a midfielder. So again, I still think there's a little bit of issues there. And in that 24-game uh, run, there's been 85 goals, which is over 3.5 goals per game. So just goes to show that being able to back over 2.5 is is a, is a great um, blanket, I would say, in having that spare goal. Um, the expected goals here is at 2.8. Hence, while we've got these odds, um, but Arsenal themselves have kept just three clean sheets in nine games this season, and that was against Norwich, Burnley, and Brighton. So not anyone really to be sort of too frightened of. Arsenal won this fixture 3-1 last season and actually the last 14 games they've played against each other so that's since Leicester won back promotion there's been 43 goals which is over three a game so it generally is a goal heavy fixture so yeah I think over 2.5 goals in the it's probably my bet of the weekend in the Premier League Jake, I must admit, I was excited about goals. I'm even more excited about goals now after that from Stinch. You're not going to tell us it's going to be nil-nil now, are you? Not exactly nil-nil, but <laughs> I am opposing goals. I'm taking the opposite angle to Stinch, yeah. And and to be honest, when I first looked at the fixture, you look at the recent records and, and you look at the raw XG numbers, you actually think, you know, the only way is goals. But digging a little bit deeper with the XG robots, um, Leicester's defensive numbers actually don't represent their defensive performances very well. Um, you know, just looking at the raw XG, so they're allowing around 1.47 non-penalty expected goals against per game, which is, you know, it's not great. It's, a, it's bottom half table kind of stuff. But when you look a little bit deeper, they've only conceded five non-penalty big chances this season. Only Wolves have conceded fewer. Now, just to clarify for listeners, Jake, sorry, because I'm, I'm very aware that we we should educate some listeners as well if they're not kind of as au fait with the XG stuff uh, as maybe we are. What what constitutes a non-penalty big chance? What is it? What is a big chance? So at Infigor, we use a big chance as anything that has a 35% chance of being scored or greater. So, you know, usually one-on-ones will have greater than 35% chance of being scored. Anything with inside the six yard box obviously does and anything you know in and around maybe 10 yards probably has a higher expected goals of, of 0.35 or 35% so they're, they're the you know it's been 35% we're expecting them those chances to be scored around one in three times we see that as a as a big chance um, <clears throat> and that, you know 
when you when you're talking about these big chances, usually at the top of the list are the, the teams like your Manchester Cities, your Liverpool's, in terms of limiting them very well. Um, but at the top of the list at the moment, we've got Wolves. They've conceded just four non-penalty big chances in their nine matches, which is really impressive from Wolves, actually, given that they've actually played quite a tough schedule. Um, and then Leicester follow with five, um, which again is is really impressive. And it doesn't really, when I was looking, it doesn't really line up with their XG, you know, their actual XG figure in in, in terms of the total. Um, and then you know you, you take into account that they've actually conceded 145 non-penalty shots so far, and only five of them have been non-penalty big chances. That works out at three percent. That if they could manage that over the course of the season, that would be staggering because that low figure is something I've never seen before in terms of the percentage of chances conceded being non-penalty big chances. I mean, for, for, for comparison, Manchester City have conceded 58 shots this season, non-penalty shots. They've conceded five non-penalty big chances, so that's around 9%. Liverpool conceded 93 uh, non-penalty shots, eight non-penalty big chances, which works out at 9% as well. So what, what that tells us is that Leicester... A, they're doing a really good job at limiting their opponents to taking low probability chances from range um, or they're getting deflections on things and, and making tightening angles and making things really difficult. B, they face an unsustainable unsustainable run defensively in terms of their opponents they face have been really clinical with their chances. And C, Kasper Schmeichel hasn't played very well this season. Um, and if we're looking at post-shot expect- expected goals, which is XG from a goalkeeper's standpoint, he actually ranks as the worst goalkeeper in the Premier League through nine wow. matches. Um, you wouldn't so expect some... that at all, would you really? No, me neither. And that, that caught me by surprise. But it goes some way to explaining what, what's happening really with Leicester. And I know Stinch makes a good point. When you do watch them, they do look a little bit kamikaze at times. But for whatever reason, the stats are telling me a different story to what my eye test is. So in this, obviously we're nine games in, we've got a decent sample now. They played some tough games, some tough fixtures against decent teams, especially you know Man City, Man United attacking teams, and and they've done a good job in terms of limiting them to you know low probability chances. And you know if we look at the where these big chances were created, or, or sorry, should I say conceded, Manchester United didn't create a single big chance against Leicester. They were very clinical with their two goals. Manchester City created just one. The other two of them came against West Ham, in which they had ten men. Um, and the, one of them came against Wolves in the opening day where they went one up early and sat back and the other came against Brentford last week. Um, so they, they really are doing a really good job defensively at limiting those big chances. They're just conceding a lot of low probability chances and quite a few of them have, have snuck in, which is something that we wouldn't expect to continue. So on the Leicester side of things, I am expecting if they continue at this rate, the, the, the clean sheets to sort of start coming or at the very least they stop conceding as many goals as they are. And then on the other side of the ball, you've got Arsenal, who their season's almost been split into two um, already. I mean, the three matches that they played before the first international break, Brentford, Chelsea, Arsenal, a tough schedule and missing key players, which I think is really important. After that, the following six matches, they've had an admittedly kinder schedule, but they've had a full complement of players to choose from. And that team is starting to take shape and it's starting to look like a half-decent team, at the very least a team that could compete for a top six spot. Uh, and the XG numbers tell you know tell the full story. In the last six matches, they've conceded just 1.04 expected goals against per game. Only Man City have been better defensively than Arsenal in those last six matches. 
And only only Manchester City and Liverpool have been better in attack than Arsenal in those last six matches. So they, we've seen a drastic improvement when you know players like Bamiang have got back to full fitness. He brought in Tomaseo at, at right back. Ben White's come back from COVID. Gabriel's back in. Ramsdale's in the net. Uh, Thomas Partey's back fit. So all these different things have, have factored into Arsenal having a big upturn. But again, if we're looking at that metric of non-penalty big chances, in the last six matches, Arsenal have conceded just two. Um, so they're doing a really good job as well of, of limiting the number of big chances they're conceding. Um, one came against Aston Villa, one came against Tottenham, and obviously the, both of those games, both of those big chances came after they were comfortably three 0 up. So that tells me that you know we've got two defenses here that are really good at limiting def- uh, their their opponents to low probability chances. And and with that in mind, you factor in Arsenal's away record this season, which has actually seen under two and a half goals click three or four times. They do seem to be a bit more pragmatic on the road. Even going to Burnley, they played very defence-first football. Snuck a 1-0 win thanks to a free kick at Brighton. Very defensive-minded. They did well to sort of hang on. Brighton were excellent in that game. Um, So I'm looking at unders. I know it's contradictory to what you guys are saying, but all the data is sort of telling me that this has the potential to go the other way to the market's thinking. And, you know, you could take the under two and a half goal line at around 2.1, but I'm going to take under 2.75 goals at 1.87, um, which to me looks like a, a really sen- a sensible bet. And it's something that, that I think, that, as I've said, all the, all the models, the data is telling me is, is more likely than the overs, um, even if the actual results have gone the other way in recent weeks. And, you know, I could look completely stupid come next week if this game finishes 4-4 or well, something daft like that. <laughs> But, you know, if it finishes 4-4 and there's eight goals from 25 yards that hit the top bin, at least I've, you know, at least I've said that based on the big chances that have been created, because ultimately the expected goal models in general is you want to create better chances more regularly than taking pot shots from distance. Um, and, and ultimately, if Leicester continue defending the way they are, they'll stop conceding as many goals, um, you know, once Kasper Schmeichel gets... Gets up and running properly. Uh, maybe he's got a Euros hangover. I mean, you look at the number of players that played in the Euros, particularly England players that haven't really kicked on this season. Maybe there's something in that um, that, that needs to be looked at as well. But yeah, under 2.75 is where I'm going to go in that one. I know it was a very long-winded explanation, but I felt like I had to because Stin should put up a really good argument for over 2.5 or over 2.75. So I've got to go, I've got to go um, you know, tit for tat and try and get defend my corner. I'm just imagining a montage of you with the XG robots at kind of three in the morning, glugging coffee while they try and solve the <laughs> Leicester mystery. Uh, worth bearing in mind, by the way, uh, that it is safer gambling week next week. Now, what that is, is it's a cross-industry initiative to promote safer gambling in the United Kingdom and Ireland. In our Sunday show, uh, we're going to be talking to Betfair's Sam Rosbottom about that in a bit more detail. But there's more information on safer gambling on betting.betfair.com. Now, elsewhere, Burnley is still looking uh, to get moving, really. It's been a tough start to the season for them. They face a Brentford side that's really caught the eye since winning promotion, although they did lose to Leicester recently. Both sides are 2.8 here to win the game. Stinch, I always think when there's a market like that, if you're interested in the result, it gives you the chance to back a team with a bit of insurance, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, you could be more aggressive and obviously take one of the teams just to win. But yeah, you're totally right. If you want to be uh, make long term, long term good bets, then yeah, having the security of being able to go down the draw no bet route makes makes complete sense. And that's that's what I'm going to do here. I feel like this is a game between two clubs that are going in opposite directions. Really, I mean, they both play 
of different styles of football, but it's no wins, no wins in twelve games for for Burnley going back to the end of last season, and and actually at Turf Moor it's it's a little bit worse. Reading they failed to win the last fourteen home matches, and you kind of consider during their Premier League tenure, Turf Moor's kind of been one of their sort of safety blankets. So I think that's very alarming. Overall, it's just two wins in eighteen matches. So, you know, they're not winning games and they're playing against a team that aren't really losing games either and actually are, are, are doing better than what I would say the league table suggests. So Brentford sit 12th at the moment with a with a pretty solid 1-3 draw and 3 loss 3. But if you look at expected points, it actually has them in the top four. And a lot of it is down to their good defensive process. So they're conceding the joint third fewest shots per game, meaning they've got the joint... Th- fourth best defensive record which actually has them as second for expected goals against now when you compare that to Burnley's statistics they're the second lowest scorers in the division and are allowing the 15th most shots that doesn't bode well going forward so I think just very very logical quite easy is to is to back Brentford draw no bet at five to six I can see Jake nodding there. Jake, do you have a different bet or is that pretty much what you're going with? Yeah, the same bet. Exactly the same bet. Um, I think if you go on the exchange, you can get even money for that as well, which I think is is well worth your time to go on the exchange and get a bit of extra, a bigger price. Um, yeah, everything Stinch said is bang on, really. Basically, what I was going to say, winless in, uh, you know, they're rightly in the bottom four, Burnley. They were very unfortunate at the start of the season with some of their performances. They deserve a little bit more. Um, but recently, we've seen performances have dropped off um, and results have sort of followed which is a bit of a bit of an issue for them and and you know contrasting you've got Brentford who yeah they've lost the last two against Chelsea and Leicester two teams that finished in top five last season but they actually won the XG battle in both <laughs> which kind of tells you where they're at really they're, they're sort of performing as a top half level already you know they're only nine games into their Premier League debut season um, but their XG process is fantastic and um, yeah very surprised to see the Two teams priced up the same, uh, 2.8. I personally would have thought the Brentford would be favourites given what we've seen so far. And, you know, you're thinking about going to Turf Moor, it's going to be a bit of a battle, it's going to be a bit of a slugfest, it's going to be a lot of long balls. Brentford play the same way. Brentford are so direct in their football, yeah. they love a battle, that I can't see that being too much of an issue. And that makes me like them even more in this game. Now, we know it's frustrating when you get frozen out of a bet. So, Betfair's now offering no cash-out suspensions on match odds, over-under, and goal markets on the sportsbook, even during VAR reviews or when there's a penalty. Watford have had a chaotic time already under Claudio Ranieri. They lost 5-0 to Liverpool. They won 5-2 at Everton. They take on Southampton on Saturday. Saints, the 2.4 favourites. Stinch, is that a bit short for Southampton, do we think, or...? Uh, I know you're not a huge fan of Mr. Ranieri. We've covered that quite extensively on this show. Um, but that seemed a little short to me. Yeah, I agree. I hope the Watford fans are listening because I'm going to be pro Watford this week. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I you know when I, my general process when I go through the my bets for the week is I think a lot of people price up in their head what what they think the odds are then go and look I'm kind of a bit of the opposite because I feel like you could waste time pricing up in your head to, to then go and look at the odds and see they're the same so you know, you've wasted your time there so I prefer to go and have a look at the odds I think probably just as I'm sort of clicking on the page or or whatever I kind of you know sort of derive them in my head 
And yeah, very shocked to see Southampton as short as 13 to, 13 to 10. I thought maybe sort of a pick'em, similar price to Burnley Brentford. Yeah. I thought that might be similar where, where the market would pitch them up or, or maybe either team just slight phase. But Southampton at this price suggests if they were to play on a neutral ground, Southampton would be odds on. And again, it just seems miles short. I mean, they haven't got a regular goal scorer without, without Danny Ings. So I don't, I don't really know like who the market expects Southampton to to, to be scoring the goals for them. I um, guess Brozier's just... done all right, hasn't he? Since getting there, Armando Brozier looks decent in attack, but it's very early days, I guess, to make a judgment on him. Yep, small spread of data. Maybe long term, that's something that Southampton are sort of hanging their hats on. But uh, yeah, I'd say it's not really a big a big deal to go on from from him so far. And to be fair, it's just one win all season for the Saints against a, a depleted Leeds. Um, and as meant, you know, this is at Vicarage Road as well, and Southampton have failed to win the last nine away. Premier League matches and actually going back a bit further overall it's just one win in their last 17 away games and that was against a very poor Sheffield United and they've lost 12 of those so it's not exactly it's not exactly as if they're you know just you're picking up a few points and have been a bit unlucky not to win games generally they go into into these away games and losing them um, they conceded at least two goals in 12 of the last 15 away games so as I say they're not they're not scoring. I don't know who's going to score the goals, and they're conceding lots of goals. So yeah, again, I just I don't know how they're they're such big favourites in this game. Obviously, we haven't got much to go on with Watford under Ranieri, just his his two two games in charge. Um, but I thought it was quite impressive. Well, I say quite impressive, probably very impressive from from Watford last week going forward. They had twenty shots. They created over three expected goals. And what I like most, really, from a sort of uh, a shot perspective, is they had ten shots in the penalty area, which is impressive uh, on its own. But nine of those were taken between the width of the post, which to me suggests that they're actually having the composure to pick out a better chance rather than you know being selfish. Yeah. So yeah, I think uh, it's be- I think the it's very logical to to side with Watford in in this game. So yeah, going down the you know conservative route and taking Watford plus 0.25 goals on the Asian handicap on the exchange around about 1.95. So it's half a stake on Watford to avoid defeat and half a stake on on Watford draw no bet. So if it finishes a draw, you get half your your money paid out, and and the only way the bet loses is if Southampton win. Well, now it's time for the world-famous podcast treble. Meatloaf once sung that two out of three ain't bad, and we've been nailing two of the three selections a lot recently, but it's not quite enough to get the winner. How it works is that we all make a selection and our delightful traders wrap them up in a boosted treble. I'm going to go first uh, because I'm the host and I get to. I have the power. (laughs) And I'm going to, despite Jake's long and detailed explanation, which was persuasive, certainly to a certain extent, I'm going to go both teams to score in Leicester against Arsenal uh, at 1.71. That's why I'm chucking into the pot a stinch. I'm going to go with you. You kind of picked the one I wanted to Jake, go for. Jake, I'm going to go with you. While Stinch works out what he's going to go for, I'm going <laughs> to... See, that, uh, that's the power of being the host, you see. Uh, Jake, what are you going to go for? Um, I'll go with Brentford or draw, double chance. Um, I don't think we can put draw no bet in a treble, so I'll go for Brentford or the draw to just avoid defeat at Turf Moor. Everything we've said earlier, I just yeah. think that there's a bit of a... you know, Brentford are the better team of the two. And Stinch is digging into his reserve tank of treble bets. What are you going for? 
I'm going to go for both teams to score no in Norwich v Leeds because I think both teams have got a lot of problems going forward right now and that is six to five. So I think that's quite juicy um, because I think listening to Sunday and I've got a bet that it's very similar down that route and even bigger price. Yeah, we're going to talk about that game extensively on Sunday's show, so make sure you tune in for that. But for this episode, that's all we have time for on Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Lots of information on our safer gambling section at betting.betfair.com. Uh, from Jake, from Stinch, and from me, it's goodbye for now. <laughs>